Today's Gospel reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God, and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we keep the Feast of Candlemas, the presentation of Christ in the Temple to give it its full title. Its actual date is February the 2nd, but we observe it on the nearest Sunday. It's the last day of the Christmas and Epiphany season, the time when we turn from focusing on Christ's birth to thinking of his ministry, his death and his resurrection. Traditionally, it's the time when the last of the Christmas decorations are taken down, we always keep our crib set up in church and at home until now, and this year we've left the Vicarage Christmas lights up throughout January too, because let's face it, we need as much cheering up as we can get at the moment. But now it's time for them to go away. Not because we don't need light in our lives anymore, but because finally we're starting to see light returning to the world around us, and the first signs of spring. Candlemas falls on one of the four cross-quarter days in the calendar. They come halfway between the solstices and equinoxes. They're the moments when we notice one season just starting to give way to another. And they've been marked throughout recorded history 
in one way or another, whatever faith people followed. The other cross-quarter days coincide roughly with May Day, when spring blossoms into summer, Lammas Tide at the beginning of August, an ancient feast celebrating the first fruits of the autumn harvest, and, of course, Halloween, when we can't deny that the winter darkness is starting to take hold. We seem to have a deep human need to notice these moments when the seasons start subtly to shift. And this time, which we celebrate as Candlemas, is no different. There are many weather forecasting traditions linked with it, aimed at predicting how much longer winter will go on, which is the question we really want answering. An old English rhyme says, If Candlemas Day be fair and bright, winter will have another fight. If Candlemas Day brings cloud and rain, winter will not come again. In Germany, it was thought that if the badger came out and saw his shadow on February the 2nd because the sun was shining, there would be six weeks of winter ahead. German immigrants took that tradition to the USA, where the presumably more common groundhog was substituted, hence Groundhog Day. Cross-quarter days are all about beginnings, the first small signs of change, not summer in all its glory or winter in all its fury, not the fullness of spring or autumn, but the moment when, if you have your eyes open, you can start to see that the year is turning and that the next season will soon come. But you do have to have your eyes open. At this time of year, there aren't hosts of golden daffodils with their in-your-face unmistakable bright yellow flowers, just tiny white snowdrops poking through the cold ground. One of the other common names for the snowdrop is the Candlemas Bell. You have to get down close to them to appreciate their beauty. They aren't showy or shouty, but they're a sure sign that the winter won't go on forever. The story which the church tells at this time introduces us to two people who've trained themselves to open their eyes and their hearts to see the things that others might miss, the small signs of God's life and light dawning on the world. It's the story we heard in our Gospel reading of the infant Jesus being brought to the temple 40 days after his birth. Simeon and Anna, who we meet in this reading, probably saw hundreds of people every day going in and out of the temple. They were both regulars there. In fact, Anna lived there full-time, we're told, night and day, praying and fasting. Like so many others in Israel, they were longing for God to act, to send his promised Messiah to them, and the temple was an obvious place to wait and hope. Yet Simeon and Anna seem to have been the only people to have spotted that Jesus was the one, a tiny, vulnerable, ordinary child of poor parents, too poor to be able to afford the sacrifice of a lamb which was prescribed in the book of Exodus. They had to bring two pigeons instead. Maybe others were expecting a mighty military leader entering the temple at the head of an army in triumph. Maybe they were expecting him to be heralded by trumpeters or announced by golden letters written on the sky. Not like this, in a child who couldn't even speak for himself yet. There was apparently nothing that would have singled Jesus, Mary and Joseph out, 
but when God prompted Simeon and Anna to notice them, they don't seem to have questioned the likelihood of God's choice. I expect that was because in their long years of prayer and contemplation of the scriptures, they'd come to understand that God had a habit of starting small. They'd have read in those scriptures about another vulnerable baby, left in a reed basket on the River Nile, rescued by an Egyptian princess who called him Moses. He grew up to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. They'd have read about David, the little shepherd boy, overlooked and unnoticed who'd grown up to become Israel's greatest king. They'd have grown used to the idea that God often worked through those who seemed insignificant or unlikely. Elderly, childless couples like Abraham and Sarah, the ne'er-do-well trickster Jacob, and Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, whose brothers hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. There was Ruth, too, a widowed refugee from Moab, who'd bravely come to a new country with her Israelite mother-in-law and became David's great-grandmother. The list goes on and on. God nearly always seemed to work through the last people you'd expect, who most wouldn't have given a second glance to. So Simeon and Anna were ready when this little child was brought into the, the temple. Their hearts were tuned to God. A tiny child of ordinary parents from a backwater town in Galilee? Why not? They'd learned to expect to see God's hope in small things and small people. So they could embrace that hope. Simeon did so literally as he took Jesus into his hands. And they could proclaim that hope long and loud in Anna's case as they bore witness to what they'd seen. At the end of this service... If you've been able to light a candle safely, I'm going to invite you to blow it out as we bid farewell to Christmas. It's an odd little ritual. We're more used to lighting candles than extinguishing them in prayer. It's a reminder, though, that the light we most need isn't out there. It's within us. As we blow out our candles, we're not saying that the light of Christ has gone out, but rather that it's gone in. That the Lord whom we seek has come to the temple of our hearts to borrow the language of our Old Testament reading. We may feel that the light in us is just a small, tentative glow. We may not feel we're ablaze with glory, but even a small light can make all the difference in a dark place, just as the tiny snowdrop, the candlemass bell, can give us hope that spring is on the way. So on this Feast of Candlemass, let's tune our hearts to God so that we can learn to see his hope, however it comes to us. Let's embrace that hope, like Simeon, and proclaim it, like Anna, so that those around us find it too. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, clothed in majesty, whose beloved Son was this day presented in the temple in substance of our flesh, Grant that we may be presented to you with pure and clean hearts by your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.